Well, welcome, welcome, welcome to the show. This is Wrong Place, Right Crime. I am your host, Frank Zafiro, and we have a different kind of show for you today. Uh, usually, I interview a, a single author, usually crime fiction. Uh, last month, it was uh, Joe Clifford. Next month, it'll be Kat Richardson. But this month, uh, I thought we'd do something a little bit different and uh, do some short interviews with each of the five authors that I have collaborated with. Uh, and so all five of them agreed to come on the show for a short segment. And we're going to talk to each and uh, learn a little bit about them, uh, how I came to work with each of them, and then what's uh, going on in their career now. And and uh, I'll tell you, each one of these uh, writers brings a lot to the table and is worthy of your attention. And so uh, I, I hope you enjoy getting to know them better, and I hope you check out their work. Let's be old-fashioned and uh, start with the idea of ladies first here. And so the first author we're going to talk to is Bonnie Paulson, also uh, writing under the name B.R. Paulson. Uh, and I'll let Bonnie tell you about herself, but uh, I will tell you that Bonnie and I wrote a book called The Trade-Off together, uh, which is set against the backdrop of uh, human sex trafficking. We wrote this in the same way that many of the books that I've done uh, have been presented, and that is uh, two protagonists, uh, first-person storytelling uh, in alternating chapters. Uh, so first uh, one of us, then the other of us, and, and back and forth with uh, parallel and intersecting storylines. But Bonnie uh, writes uh, a lot of other stuff, too. I'll let her tell you about that. Uh, so without further ado, let's meet Bonnie Paulson. Well, hello, Bonnie. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Frank, for having me. I'm really excited. Um, for your listeners who don't know me, I'm Bonnie Paulson. I have multiple pen names, but my two favorite is me, Bonnie R. Paulson, and I write sweet romances and westerns. They're all contemporary settings. And then I also write as B.R. Paulson, and that writer is a little psychotic and likes to torture people and puts them into into the end kind of situation, <laughs> like survival. So we, um, both of those names, both of those pen names or personalities or whatever, like to get along, at, not at all. So I'm constantly warring with them. And I am USA Today bestselling author, and I also run a couple companies. One of them is called MyAuthorNews.com, and we manage authors' newsletters. And that is me, mostly in a nutshell. <laughs> That's sweet. <laughs> yeah. So uh, sweet romances and westerns, uh, are those two separate things, or are they sweet romances with a western setting? Well, I have sweet contemporary westerns um, where they're like – you know, just like in everyday life, whatever. And then I have um, my sweet Western romances, which are set in Montana because hello, it's Montana and it's amazing. So that's pretty much what I have, but I, they're both, both of them are sweet. Both sides of that genre are sweet. So meaning clean and wholesome or however you want to say that they're sexless is what they are. <laughs> <laughs> yes. um, and so, uh, you know, in the intro, I mentioned that our collaborative work was uh, the trade-off. Uh, but what I didn't talk about and what I'd love to hear from you is uh, how is it that you and I came to work on a book together? Oh, my gosh. Okay, so I stalked you from afar, and that's totally fine. I can do that because I'm a writer, and it's actually considered research. And I remember <laughs> how many times – how many times did we – 
meet and stuff. It was multiple times because you came to my RWA chapter and interviewed and stuff. And then I saw you at um, the writing conference thing over there in Spokane. I can't remember what it was called. The Get Lit uh, thing. From Get Easter. Lit. Get Lit, yeah. Yeah, Get Lit, that one. Yeah, so I saw you there. And then I, you know, I have to say, we just, you and I, it seems so natural for us just to be writing together. I honestly can't remember how we started writing together. I think one of us was like, hey, you want to collaborate? And the other one was like, hey, you want to collaborate? And then we started collaborating. <laughs> yeah, I think but, that's it. I think I, I my my recollection is that you were the first one to reach out on the topic because you wanted you had never written crime fiction at that point. Um, oh, specifically. Yes. I'm so and, glad. and so you wanted to, you know, to dive into that. And you thought you know, and you knew I had done collaborations before, too. So I think that those two things. I'm so glad your memory is better than mine because I know that that's one of the things that was good about our partnership. (laughs) I pretty much take direction. Well, let's just do what we're supposed to do. (laughs) Yes. Well, tell us about the experience of writing uh, uh, the trade-off. What was that like for you? Well, honestly, since it was, as you know, it was my, as you just remembered, as it was my first collaboration and that was awesome. It actually left a really great feeling for me for collaborations. Um, I enjoyed the back and forth that we did, the kind of general feel that we had. Um, I didn't feel like there was any, like one side was more controlling than the other, which was very awesome for the creative side, but where it came to some aspects that I didn't have experience with, for instance, the crime. I mean, you have that terrific background that you have, and I didn't have that background. I mean, I have medical background, and so for me, it was it was an awesome learning opportunity, as well as it was really neat to see what your process was I consider you very successful. And so, you know, actually getting into the nitty gritty and seeing how you did it was really, was really encouraging and very um, actually informative for me. So it was, it was the whole overall experience was amazing. There wasn't even one little part in there where I would have changed it. And so, I mean, for me, it was an amazing experience and I loved writing trade-off. I mean, those characters were crazy and no spoilers, but the ending threw me for a loop and we were writing it. So I remember <laughs> kind of like yelling at you, I think on the last couple chapters, what are you doing? <laughs> so yeah. yeah. And you, you even had to, exp- <laughs> yeah. And you were like, no, no, it had to happen. And I'm like, that doesn't mean I like you right now. <laughs> yeah. I was on the doghouse there for, for a bit. We kind of took a left turn, but the, that's an interesting thing when you're writing is whether you're writing with someone else or you're writing by yourself. Some, I know you know this, how, how sometimes the story dictates, oh no, we're going left here. I know you were planning to go right. I know the map says right. I know that Siri says <laughs> go right, but we're going left and here's why. And and that did happen in that book, I remember. You came up with a really neat idea early on though, and that was... Uh, uh, who was going to write what character and what genders they were going to be. I didn't talk about that in the intro. Maybe you could share that. Yeah, that was awesome. That was super fun. I was so grateful that you were excited to do it because I don't, I'm a chick, but I don't write chick very well. I, wait, that's not very PC. Um, I don't write, how would I say that? I don't write female very well. <laughs> Whatever it is, if they have ovaries, I don't really type, I don't write them very great, but I really like writing guys because guys are so, um, they're multifaceted. And they're not really given a lot of respect, it seems like, anymore. And I love men. I think I think men and the whole patriarchal ideal there is super fun. And so when you were like, yeah, I'll write the woman, I was like, Frank is so awesome. <laughs> and you wrote her so well. It was, I, I thought it was really cool. And then, you know, when we had to give him, what was it, knitting or crocheting skills, I thought that was fun too. 
So, yeah. yeah, that was your idea. I remember um, giving him something uh, <laughs> the anachronistic kind of to to, to do. Uh, yeah, that was a fun uh, a fun book, and you know the interesting thing about it is um, that the majority of the sales that we see on that book are from the UK. Uh, I want to that. Yeah, way outstrips the the U.S. sales. I mean, the U.K. sales are where the majority come from, and it's just interesting to me. There's something there's something going on there <laughs> with the Brits. <laughs> yeah, um, like that's just crazy. I love it. I mean, that's great. I I love my Brit British readers. The U.K. readers are awesome. I just that was it's just surprising to me that <laughs> it's doing well over there. Yeah, it's an interesting interesting phenomenon. I think. So what are you working on now? Tell, tell us what you got going on now. Um, well, I always have my Westerns going, my sweets for Bonnie. She's pretty, um, she sticks with those. She stays pretty sweet. But um, Paulson, BR, he, he or she or whatever that personality wants to be, um, BR Paulson is working on 180 Days and Counting series. And it's actually super fun. It's an apocalyptic story style book um it's based on a virus and it's not just based on a virus that's just randomly let loose it's actually choreographed by one of the main female characters in my books and it's really weird because i'm finally i'm i'm finding out that as much as i don't like to write women they are actually in all of my books as like the anti-hero and they're the ones trying to survive and they're the ones and they actually take on a lot of male characteristics which works um but I just wasn't realizing that I was writing them until I wrote this series. And this series is has three generations. So it has like the grandmother who's um, not your traditional grandmother, but she's in her fifties. And then we have um, the main woman, her name's Katie, and she's one of the creators of the virus. And she's um, trying to protect her daughter. And there's a whole bunch of aspects of it, but a book eight is about to come out and the series is doing really well. It's, it's psychotically fun. I love it. That's not the only, um, post-apocalyptic uh, series you had i read your um first book and your other one uh and into i'm the, the uh, yeah into the end now that's a trilogy or so i think yeah that's a trilogy that was my first foray into that and there was no outlining or anything on that that series was just pure psychosis it was like absolute nuts i think i was pregnant at the time too which makes you even more crazy <laughs> so um crazy that in a good way yeah, crazy in a good way. In fact, I think you even caught one of the typos on like the gun type. It was like a 223 and I put 232. Like how embarrassing is that? <laughs> like, what? Wait a minute. No, I know what a 223 is. This is horribly embarrassing. <laughs> and then when you read it and I, I remember turning to my husband after you caught that, I was like, I might as well just go quit now. Oh my gosh, how embarrassing. <laughs> so oh, it's just a typo. Fun. It's just a typo. Yeah, but, but still when I fixed fast. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bet. <laughs> I have a lot of clients in my um, my author news, my newsletter and marketing business, and that's keeping me on edge. And um, I know you know that when you do marketing for your books, it's like, I think a lot of people think that all you have to do is write the book and put it up, like writing the book is the hard part. But actually, as an indie author, as any type of author, because I know you're a hybrid, that any type of being an author in this industry right now, it's like 20% of the time is spent doing the fun stuff, which is writing. And the rest of it is the marketing and the ads and the graphics and the social part and the all of the crazy stuff that you really wish you didn't have to do just because we just want to sit and write and love our characters. And so that's what I spend a lot of my time doing. Well, it was a great experience uh, working on the trade-off uh, with you and, and uh, I, I appreciate you coming on the show. 
Thank you, too. And I'm still putting a plug in there for us to do our zombie series. We just have to figure out when. <laughs> I'm down for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, Bonnie. It was uh, fun to write to the trade-off. Before we move on, uh, let's hear from our sponsor. Uh, Wrong Place, Right Crime is sponsored by Down and Out Books. Uh, and here from Down and Out Books is the uh, founder and chief editor, uh, Eric Campbell. Yo, Frank. Eric Campbell from Down and Up Brooks. April is a huge month for us. We've got eight killer books coming out this month. Here's just a sampling of what's on the list. First up is Michael Poole's Texas Two-Step. Eric Pruitt calls this one a shotgun marriage between the Cohen brothers and Joe Lansdale. Make room on your bookshelf for Texas's own Elmore Leonard. Coming up second is The Black Car Business, Volume 1 edited by Lawrence Kelter. Turn the pages as 10 masters of the noir art befuddle and frighten you with their stories. This is a read you'll sure to enjoy. Just a few names included in this volume are Eric Beatner, Jade Carson Black, Diane Capri, Jeffrey Hess, Simon Wood, and Vincent Zandri. Certainly names you've heard or should be reading. These books are available for pre-order now. Find out more at downandoutbooks.com. And Frank, as always, thank you for your kind support. Appreciate it. Thanks, Eric. Uh, folks, every time I do this show, I find myself repeating these words. Down and Out is a cool publisher, and I am proud to be one of their many writers. Uh, they continue to grow. They continue to find new writers and to get uh, good work from their existing stable and uh uh, I'm super proud to have a number of books with them and uh, qu- uh, quite a few on deck that uh, will come out through that publisher. Uh, so if you like crime fiction that's gritty, if you like it mean, if you like it dark, uh, and if you like it to maybe have a little social commentary hidden underneath, then Down Out Books is the place for you to go. Uh, all right, well, let's move on to the next collaborator. And this author is one that uh, listeners to the show uh, will already be very familiar with, and uh, that is Eric Beatner. Eric is a prolific writer of crime fiction, a podcaster, a, uh, an editor, a book cover designer, a former uh, musician, just a real renaissance guy. And, and if you are interested in learning more about Eric, you should check out episode eight of Wrong Place, Right Crime. We talk for a, about an hour and a half and you learn some pretty cool things about Eric. Uh, but for the shorter version of that, uh, let's catch up with him and see what's going on in Eric's world. Hey, Eric, welcome to the show. Or, huh. or should I say welcome back? Oh, thank you, Frank. Good, good to be back. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, my, my name is Eric Beatner. I just published my 20th novel, which is very exciting. And uh, it seems like uh, I've written entirely too much at this point, but uh, the stories keep coming, so I keep writing them. Uh, that last novel to come out was the end of a trilogy uh, that started with The Devil Doesn't Want Me, and that's uh, the Lars and Shane series. That's been, uh, been a big hit for me. It's, it's been one of the, my most popular uh, series, and it was kind of sad to see it end. Upcoming, uh, another trilogy is uh, coming to a close, the one that I co-wrote with you, Frank, the, the List trilogy with Bricks and Cam. So we're looking forward to that later on this, this summer. But, yeah, uh, I think uh, that's out in August. Uh, yeah, if I'm correct. Yeah, and then we decided to put that one to po- possibly bed uh, as well. Yes, the, the the door the door is open though. <laughs> we, it's, we, cra- it's cracked. Yeah. 
if, if, if yeah. we find ourselves bored just sitting on the couch. <laughs> oh, if we figure out a way to bring them back in a way that's novel, you know, I think exactly. that will happen. Uh, those books were a lot of fun to, to write. And I guess that is a great segue into uh, my next question for you, which is uh, how is it that you and I came to write together? Uh, I think you guilted me into it is really the short answer. <laughs> we had known each other uh, for a while through the work that we did working on book covers because I had designed uh, covers for the series that you did with Jim Wilski, uh, the Anya series, starting with Blood on Blood. And that's how we met just sort of through through that process, got to talking. I think we both independently checked out each other's work because, uh, you know, I, I know for me, I was like, oh, this sounds like right up my alley. And then I read Blood on Blood. I was like, oh, this is good. Uh, you know, and then sought out some of your other work and, and found that we had, I think, a similar sensibility. And you knew that I had co-written some stuff as well earlier. And I don't know how many times I turned you down <laughs> before I finally relented. But I think it, it was definitely more than, I think it was probably about a two-year process where like eh, every six months or something, you'd be like, hey, if, you know, if you ever feel like doing anything. And I was like, no, I don't have time. I don't, I don't you know, but I, I don't know. I don't know what it was. I think it was like I had, I had the inkling of an idea that would be the a, a perfect fit for that sort of dual narrative, you know, two first-person narrative kind of storytelling. Uh, so then the next time that we broached the subject, I had that brewing in the back of my mind. I thought, oh, that, this would actually be the perfect thing to co-write with someone. And I think I threw out the first germ of the idea to you about these these two hitmen sort of almost in competition with each other to, for, for the, the last remaining job with the, with the crime family. Uh, and you picked up the ball and ran with it and came up with the, the character of Bricks. And then uh, I, I couldn't say no to that. So then... There you go. Three books later, that's where we ended up. Yeah, I, you talk about uh, look, checking out each other's work. I definitely did that too. I uh, picked up uh, that first book you mentioned in, in the Lars and Shane trilogy, yeah, yeah. "The Devil Doesn't Want Me," and I think the reason I bothered you so much about it was because of that book. I read through that book, and what I really dug about it was, in addition to just being a flat-out good crime novel and having all the elements that you want in a good crime novel, it also surprised me in the way some things went at, at this turn or that turn or how this situation was resolved uh, or that situation came to fruition. It was not always, in fact, frequently, it was not the way you would expect, even though you think you see it coming. I don't want to give away any spoilers, so I won't say any more, but uh, that tendency to, to be surprised, which doesn't happen a lot if you read a lot, you know, you tend to get pretty good at spotting what's coming down the road. Yeah. Uh, that really attracted me. And I, I thought eh, that would be fun to write with this guy. So I got on my, you know, my, my bug him train and, and shoot <laughs> you that way all the way to all the way to the bricks and cams job series there, um, <laughs> which was a lot of fun. Uh, uh oh, yeah. you, cam was a great character and, uh, that whole experience was, uh, a real quick back and forth. If I remember. Well, I, and I think that was why I was reluctant to to do it again after I had co-written because I, I co-wrote a couple of books uh, with a writer named J.B. Cole, and they were some of the earliest stuff uh, that I, I put out. It was actually my, my first published novel was one that I co-wrote with her. Um, and I was reluctant to enter into that partnership, but it went really smoothly. And I, I think I knew that it, that was a rarity, so I didn't want to jinx myself or I didn't want to try it again and have it not work out. Uh, but I, I'm pleased to say that, yeah, you're absolutely right. It was it was a completely painless process between you and I. I think we had 
exactly the same sort of work ethic and, and process of how we did things. So it, w- it was virtually effortless. And, and I think also, you know, I get teased a lot for being almost too prolific or like, oh, my God, how many books do you have out in a year? And when you co-write something, it's kind of like cheating. And when, it, <laughs> and when it goes as smoothly as it did with us, it's like, like yeah, oh, I've, I've got this solo novel. And then, you know, six months later, I've got another novel coming out that I co-wrote. co-wrote and you can do it at the same time. Right. You know, I write my chapter and I send it off to you and then I work on my own thing. And then another chapter comes mm-hmm. in. So it's, it's, it makes the whole process effortless in a way. Well, I, I totally agree, and it was it was a fun process as well because you you get that chapter from your partner writer, and you know you get to read the the book that you're writing, <laughs> to read half of it without knowing what's going to happen exactly, and then uh, for me anyway, I was I was pumped to jump in and and uh, a do the best job I could because I didn't want to let you down, and b uh, you know, you're, you're jazzed because, you know, you just got this chapter and it was great and you want to get in there and write your chapter. And so I, uh, my recollection of all three books, uh, was that it was a very quick back and forth. Uh, there wasn't a lot of lag time. No, and it, it's, I would liken it to being a musician a lot. I've, I've always draw parallels between my time when I used to play in bands and stuff and, and then the writing game. And, you know, there's a certain appeal to being a solo artist and having control of everything you do and having it all live or die with with your creative vision. But then there's also something that's really exciting about getting in a room and jamming. And, you know, it's like if, if I'm playing a guitar riff and then the bass player picks up and does something different and the drummer adds a little something and it turns the whole song on its ear, that's when it starts to get really exciting. And I felt like, you know, we had a little bit of that kind of, you know, energy a lot of times. Like, you know, there were a couple of times where the story would would take a turn or, you know, it would veer off from our outline, but it, we, we would get jazzed about a certain thing that somebody had dropped a little nugget in one of their chapters and then be like, oh, yeah, let's let's follow this little fork in the road and see where it goes. So we had uh, the backlist, which was the first one, and followed that up with the shortlist. And then uh, the trilogy uh, winds up for a potential final book uh in the getaway list which is coming out in august from down and out books well uh, and we should say the hardest part of this entire process was coming up with titles it really was although i think the backlist was a pretty easy title because yeah. uh, we were we kept saying yeah they've got this backlist yeah. you know this that there were that the people that need to be dealt with and uh, you know what, they're going to be working on the backlist the backlist anyway, what should we call this book <laughs> well, i don't know the backlist uh and then we were uh, locked in now then we painted ourselves <laughs> in a corner <laughs> well the short list worked too because uh, basically uh you know Cam and Bricks were the only ones on that list. Yeah. So. <laughs> but I remember struggling for the third one. We yeah. went through a, a whole share of a different whole lot. titles. Uh, but ultimately, if you think about it, that, I don't know why we didn't come up with a getaway list sooner because that's kind of what Cam and Bricks are doing. Yeah, exactly. As they head out west and right into the sunset, potentially. Yeah. Uh, so aside from the getaway list, uh, what uh, what else are you working on? What else is coming out here in 2018? Uh, I th- I think the the third of the westerns that I wrote uh, as a part of the lawyer series uh, from B to a pulp press. I, I wrote the two previous books in this series uh, that are that a couple different writers have been have been in on. They're novellas uh, set in the old west, based on a character created by David Cranmer from B to a pulp, and uh, they're super fun. You know, they're they're westerns, but they're really crime novels, sort of on horseback. 
uh, and David, <laughs> yeah, David gave me the honor of writing the the finale in that series. So uh, I, I'm not exactly sure when that's going to be up, but I think maybe later this year. And then uh, January of next year sees uh, my novel All the Way Down from Down and Out Books, and that's a uh, it's it's one of my favorite books. Is you know you always get attracted to the shiniest newest thing that, that you wrote but <laughs> this is one that I, I i really love and it's the kind of book that uh if if you don't like this one then you just you don't like what i do <laughs> this this is all i can do oh, yeah? to make like the the most entertaining and sort of adrenaline fueled thriller novel that i can so that, that'll be out january of next year that's a cool title Thanks. Yeah, it's uh, it's it it has sort of a double meaning because the uh, the main character is uh, he has to rescue someone from this basically a fortress that this crime boss has built in this abandoned office park. So there's there's sort of the the half finished buildings of this giant office park, and then in the middle of it is one finished building. The, this crime boss has taken over this building and built his criminal empire within it. And so the the main character is this disgraced cop who has to go in and uh, and rescue the mayor's daughter and and get her out of this building. So it literally goes floor by floor as he get, comes down from the penthouse, uh, trying to escape. And and every floor is just more and more outrageous. I, I, it's it's kind of gonzo this book. It's, uh, it's it, talk about taking turns that are unexpected. I guarantee you <laughs> that you will get to. You know, like you'll get to like, oh, what is going to be on on the seventh floor? And you're like, okay, I did not see that coming. Okay, <laughs> sounds like a reverse game of death, almost. Right? Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll take that. <laughs> All right. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show, Eric. All right. Thanks, Frank. Well, it's always good to talk to Eric. Uh, he's one of my favorite people uh, in this writing world, and just a very selfless uh, guy. Very nice guy. Uh, he and I wrote that uh, backlist, the short list, and the upcoming getaway list together. Getaway list will be out on August 6th from Down Out Books. It's the third book in the Bricks and Cam Job series, and it has been a fun series to write. Next up, uh, let's meet Jim Wilski. Jim Wilski is a uh, prolific short story writer and a, uh, a guy that I wrote the Anya series with, which began in Blood on Blood. Uh, that book is being reissued by Down Out Books uh, on April 30th um, with a great cover from Zach McCain. And Jim and I wrote uh, Queen of Diamonds and Closing the Circle to, to finish out that trilogy. And when uh, Down Out Books decided they wanted to reissue the trilogy, we talked to them about a prequel novel that we had in mind called Harbinger. And so uh, that is on the agenda as well. So uh, June will be Queen of Diamonds, October closing the circle, and then in December, a new Anya book, completely new Anya book, a prequel called Harbinger uh, will come out. Much like Eric and I and Bonnie and I uh, did the dual first-person narratives, uh, that is how Jim and I wrote the Anya series as well, with a few third-person chapters thrown in there over the course of the series. Anyway, Jim is a Texan and a cool guy. Uh, let's uh, let's get to know him. Hey, welcome to the show, Jim. Thank you very much, Frank. Uh, so, for those listeners who aren't familiar with their work, uh, with your work, uh, tell us about yourself. I started out writing uh, kind of late in life. Really enjoyed the the short story and the ability to uh, to write a story 
uh, in a very few amount of words and uh, have a beginning, middle, and end. And and uh, had some success uh, with getting some published online, and and it kind of went from there. But I, I'm definitely a late starter in in the, the writing business, and I regret that deeply. You had a Good career in in, uh, in sales or marketing or something along those lines, I believe. Yeah, I did. I, I uh, recently retired from that um, uh, after. Uh, well, if you add it all together, um, uh, about forty years in the grocery industry. Um, started out sacking groceries and ended up being a uh, you know senior VP of sales and marketing for a brokerage firm pretty much traveled the the world uh, uh, the last 10 years probably which always sounds more romantic than it really is <laughs> yeah yeah uh, it, it's great when you first start doing that but then uh, you know you become a commercial that you see on TV about the the weary traveler at the airport but it was a good long career and uh, something I I uh, met a lot of interesting people, and I'm a people watcher anyway, so it was kind of a good fit. Well, it obviously paid off uh, in your writing because one of the, the things uh, that you are very good at is uh, you know drawing characters with a lot of detail and, and not not the fakey kind of detail that you know sounds like the writer sat down and made a list of things to make sure that they horned in. A, uh, to the uh, uh, description of their character, but just very realistic, uh, detailed, nuanced sort of things. Um, you do the same thing with settings too, but uh, but specifically with characters, I think that might be a payoff for all those long hours of watching people and being away from home. <laughs> I, I appreciate where I came from, which was pretty damn humble uh, background. A good background, but but uh, certainly not uh, not privileged or uh, uh, moneyed by any means. My, I like to think that I can communicate on a level, any level, and and um, and I've met uh, a a wide spectrum of people in my life, as I'm sure you did too in your job, and and I think it helps. I think it helps when you write about people. That you can reach back and 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 touch different levels of of life. So you were tearing up the uh, uh, the short story market back when we first uh, were acquainted. I didn't tell the story of uh, how we came to write together. I figured I'd leave that for you. So uh, how is it that uh, you and I came to collaborate? I can't remember. <laughs> It just wasn't that important, Frank. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> no, no, I'm I'm totally kidding. Uh, but it, but I will say it's. It, I don't think there was like that one day that it just yeah. came to be. I mean, we we started conversing uh, through through people we both knew and then met. And uh, I know one thing. Uh, I would. I would still be writing short stories, which I am today, but not as much as I was for sure. If you know, you wouldn't have uh, arrived on the scene and and um, and kind of gave me the opportunity to um, expand my 
my visions a little bit and, and really, you know, I'd always thought about writing a book, uh, but, but I'll tell you, and I know, I know I'm not, uh, parting any great wisdom here, but there's a hell of a difference in writing a novel and a short story, um, even a long short story. And I, I, I don't think I had the confidence to be honest with you. I, I, in myself to, to start and finish a project such as that. Well, there is no effort on my part there. You were, you, uh, your short story writing spoke for itself. It's some of the best short stories I've, I've ever read. Well, I had, I had, uh, had one other experience, uh, collaborating um prior to working with you and that was with with colin conway and we had used the same methodology that you and i have um employed four times now uh and that is that dual narrative first person alternating chapter two protagonist sort of setup um and how did i mean how did that work for you i mean did you was that did that make it easier to get that first book written no question about it there's an excitement, an anticipation, motivation when you get the chapter from the the previous chapter from the other author, which is you, and 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 there's also a a huge um, for me anyway, huge feeling of not wanting to let the other guy down. Yeah, for sure. And and you mix all that together in in a in the pot and. What comes out is, I think, uh, the best possible result because you're you're motivated. You are uh, you are anxious, or at least I was, to read the previous chapter and to write your own, and and uh, it just feeds on itself. I mean, uh, honestly, when we got done with Blood and Blood, you know, it wasn't a painful dentist appointment at, by any means. I mean, it was a pleasurable experience and as were the other two, three to follow, but it was such a surprise uh, I, and quick, but it was, uh, the whole thing was just um, a wonderful thing, uh, experience. Blood on Blood was the, was the first uh, book in the Anya series and um, basically two half-brothers, Jersey and Mick, and they hate each other. Mick's an ex-cop. Uh, Jersey's a uh, thug, and then there's the uh, the entry of the beautiful Anya to kind of spice up the mix. Anya is the thread that is woven through all of the books. She's the one thing exactly. that's always there. I thought the characters in each of the books, Blood on Blood, Queen of Diamonds, Closing a Circle, and our newest. Harbinger. All of the characters, I suppose if you lined them all up, they might have consistencies, weaknesses, but all of them are different too. And, and so so you have new characters in all four books and they're not uh, all the same and they're not all different. I thought the series was over and then uh, when we start talking about selling it down out books, we start talking about the possibility of a, of a prequel or an origin story and that's what we ended up with. Here's my point in, in, in the start of Harbinger, our fourth book, and the end of our third book, Closing the Circle. Four years go by, and for me, picking up the project of starting Harbinger was like we had just finished 
closing a circle. Uh, Down Out Books um, is also publishing a, something something else of yours, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, no, that got canceled. <laughs> they thought about it, looked it over, and said, "You know what? We can't do this." What, no, I'm what? kidding. They have uh, agreed to uh, and offered to uh, publish a uh, collection of my short stories, and um, really happy about that. That's always something I've wanted to do. I'm really thankful for the opportunity that they're giving me on that. Have you settled on a title for that? The winner is uh, Sort Em Out Later. Good. I hated the other one. (laughs) (laughs) I know you did. Which is why I loved it. (laughs) So how many stories are in that collection? There's probably 40 or so under review and, and 10, 12 more that could be under review so and they're varying length from flash fiction to near novella right yeah my uh favorite jim wilski story uh i think of all time is uh sea of grass yep so i'm I'm hope that one's in the collection it is and uh and 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 honestly it's probably one of my favorites as well It, it it was a story that that i saw just like a movie and i write i try to write movies whether they're short movies or long movies i guess but i saw that in my mind uh, just as clear as a bell all right so sort them out later uh coming out uh in 2019 i would say by the end of this year maybe how about that so uh we've got the anya series coming out this year you've got uh sort them out later coming out uh, uh probably later this year uh, certainly within the, within a year. What's what's next up for you? Since you and I are done, I mean, we're just toast. So <laughs> I have been writing a book for like, it's the longest book ever written, I think. Not page-wise, time-wise. And I, I have to finish it. I've hit the wall on this thing so many times, it's, uh, it's not even funny, but... It's, I, I like the, the title, it's Cargo, and I'm probably three-quarters of the way through it, but uh, this guy named Frank keeps getting in the way, so. <laughs> Sometimes I get in the way and tell you to get your ass back in the seat and finish this. Yeah, part, so. I know. <laughs> I wish I could blame you on this. It's totally on my, you know, on my back. I just, I don't know. I... I I guess I got nobody to send a chapter to and wait for the next one to come back. I guess that's the problem. But, uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I really want to finish that. I need to finish that. And it, it's silly that I haven't because I think it's a good story. I, I'd really need to finish that. I and- completely agree. You, you know, uh, one of the other things I, I really like about uh, your writing is your titles. You really are good at coming up with uh, fitting, evocative titles. But uh, of our own books, I think you're responsible for three out of the four. I know I came up with Blood on Blood, and then I'm I'm absolutely certain Queen of Diamonds was yours, Closing the Circle is yours, and that you came up with Harbinger as well, uh, which are great titles. I, I mean, that's just a definite talent to come up with a title that is catchy, that fits the story, uh, that maybe has a little mystery to it. That, yeah, that's that's one of the things I think you do really well. Well, thanks. I uh, appreciate that. I 
I think I had all four, but that's all right. <laughs> No, I know for a fact I came up with the first one because I told you, hey, there's a Springsteen song where he sings nothing feels better than blood on blood. And it's the cop and the wayward brother and all that. And that's that's kind of what we got going on here. And 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 you didn't like it at first. So don't try to sell me that you picked it up. (laughs) I still don't like it. (laughs) Kudos to you. Keep cranking out those good titles. Uh, all right, Jim. Well, uh, thanks for coming on the show, and uh, we'll look forward to uh, the Anya series all year and uh, sort them out later as soon as it hits uh, hits the shelves. It's been a pleasure working with you. You too. Well, good to uh, talk with Jim. He's uh, a real class act, and uh, I'm, I'm proud to, to have those books uh, out there that, that he and I uh, worked on together. And uh, I'm looking forward to his solo work. Uh, Cargo is, is a novel he's been talking about for a while and been working on. Uh, and I'm, I'm very curious to see where that story goes. So one of the things I do on this show is I like to uh, call on the experts to give some book recommendations. Uh, and by experts, I mean bookstore owners, book reviewers, people that work at bookstores, uh, particularly those who own an independent or work at an independent bookstore. Uh, especially a mystery bookstore. Uh, This month, uh, we're going to hear from Robin Agnew at Aunt Agatha's uh, Mystery Bookshop in Madison, Wisconsin. And then we are going to hear from Cassie Clemens uh, at Roundabout Books uh, in Bend, which is uh, in Oregon, near where I live now. And they'll give us uh, some ideas of some other uh, writers you might want to be checking out. Uh, First up, Robin Agnew, followed by Cassie. Robin. Hey, Frank. How are you? I'm great. So you have well, something for us this month? I do. Um, I have discovered a new author named Emily Littlejohn, who has two books out. Um, she is a former librarian, or she may still be a librarian. I'm not sure. Um, her latest book is called A Season to Lie, and it's set in a tiny Colorado town. The main character is a female police officer. And in the first novel, she is very pregnant. In the second novel, she is dealing with a baby. So we have a wonderful police novel. We have a woman dealing with real-life issues. But um, I think mystery novels are so good at covering that kind of thing. And she's also just a lovely writer. She's, you know, then this one she uses fairy tale elements to illustrate her theme. And uh, the the cop finds a, a body in the in the snow on a, the grounds of a private school, and it's just a She's a wonderful writer, and I, I hope a lot of people start reading her because she should be discovered. That's cool. It's really nice when, when uh, people take a, an existing genre and put a just enough of a tw- twist on it to make it their own. Right. Yeah, she just has made it really rich, and it's, it's, not, it's not cozy especially, but it's kind of in between cozy and hard-boiled. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Well, hey, Cassie, welcome back to the show. Hi, good to, good to be here. Mm-hmm. What uh, books did you have for us this month? So today I picked out um, one book that is being read by our current mystery book club. Um, it's IQ by Joe Ide, who has written a lot of other mystery books, and we really like him as an author. 
Uh, this book came out in paperback in September of last year, so it is um, available in paperback now. Um, it's a it's a Sherlock Holmes, a modern-day Sherlock Holmes type oh. of mystery. Uh, so the LAPD is barely keeping up with the neighborhood's crime rate, and murders go unsolved, and lost children are unrecovered. Uh, but there's a man who's taken it upon himself to help solve the cases that the police can't or won't touch. Um, they call him IQ. And so he's a loner and a high school dropout, um, and he has kind of an unassuming nature, and just, and um, but really a relentless determination to find the facts and to help people and take payment where, with whatever they can afford, whether they're casseroles or, or paint or whatever <laughs> it is. Um, so really, really interesting character, um, a fun, entertaining protagonist. He kind of transforms the Sherlock Holmes character into a modern day hero yeah. in LA. So um, just a really refreshing and well-written, engaging book. So really liked that one. Uh, the second one I picked is The Child Finder by Renee Denfeld, and I picked her because she is also a Portland author, and um, the story takes place deep in the Cascade Mountain Wilderness in Oregon. Um, her book was in hardcover. It was released September 5th of last year in 2017, and we are so excited to host her at the store um, Friday, July 13th. So she's a, she's gotten national renown. Um, attention for this book and we're really excited to have her in the store in July. Um, so her story, uh, it's really a story of survival and strength. Um, it, it's a missing child case that takes place deep in the Cascade Mountains and she is, the main character is an Oregon private investigator and she is uncovering the secrets of early Oregon trappers and fur traders as she's wrestling with her own dark past of being a missing child at one point. And so um, the book can be heavy and disturbing but it's also deeply magical. Um, there's this real magical element going on in the forest. Um, it's full of a lot of hope and love um, and it's ultimately a tale of survival and redemption. And so we really, really liked that one but because it is an Oregon author and takes place here in Oregon. Sounds so, yeah. interesting. Yeah, so I hope you'll give that one a try too. <laughs> Well, there you are, folks. Some uh, very interesting books to check out. And uh, I'll tell you, these uh, people who work at the bookstores not only are just super neat people, uh, but they know their stuff. And so if uh, if you're wanting to give something a try and you're wondering if it'll be a waste of your time or worth your time, then you could uh, certainly sh uh, can follow their advice. Uh, so next up, we're going to talk to Larry Kelter, Lawrence Kelter, a uh, New Yorker who has a uh, pretty big catalog on, in his own right, a solo catalog. Uh, he and I have written two books together, The Last Caller, which is a uh, first-person police procedural, and Fallen City, which is a, a third-person ensemble cast uh, sort of procedural. Both of them set in, in New York, and both of them from the bones of uh, ideas that Larry brought to the table. Now, if you are uh, excited about what you hear from Larry, you can check out episode six of Wrong Place, Right Crime, and uh, he and I talk for about an hour there. But let's get the short version here uh, for this episode and find out a bit more about Larry Kelter. Well, welcome to the show, Larry. Frank, it's always a pleasure chatting with you. Happy to be here today. Actually, I should say, uh, much like uh, Eric Beatner, I should say welcome back because you've been on the show before. 
Yeah, I'm a repeat offender. <laughs> <laughs> well, for those people who didn't catch the uh, episode you were in, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? I'm a New Yorker. I've been in, living in New York my entire life, which is quite a while. Born in Brooklyn, now living on Long Island. Wife and two big kids uh, out of the house these days. And um, I've been writing for about 15 years. I first uh, was published in 2005 by Leisure Books, uh, mass market paperbacks, and uh, had a lot of fun doing that. It was a real charge out of it, but didn't make a hell of a lot of money doing it. And it wasn't until about 2011, 12 or so that I began self-publishing, and things started to turn around for me and made it possible for me to write full-time. And you've got a couple of flagship series going on in addition to some standalone stuff. Uh Stephanie Chalice series, I think, is your your biggest one? Yeah, I mean, I never really thought of it as a flagship, but I like that. I'm going to use that, if you don't mind. Yeah, um, Stephanie Chalice is um, uh, the series I first started publishing back in 2005. There are six full-length books in the series, um, starting with Don't Close Your Eyes, which, when it um, was re-released in 2012 sold probably in excess of 200,000 copies. So that was that's my biggest sellers to date. Um, there are also three prequels, which are shorter length. Um, there's a one-off where she works a case with an FBI agent, but it's sort of out of the series. And what I'm doing now is um, I'm releasing a Chalice novella once a month under the umbrella of City Beat Thrillers. So Chalice's coming back uh, every 30 days with a new story. It may seem ambitious, and it is. <laughs> and I'm doing my best to keep up with the schedule. The first book was released April 4th. Uh, another one should be out in about 30 days, and we'll keep following up until my arms fall off. <laughs> so um, why don't you uh, give, give your version of how, uh, how it was that we came to work together? I wanted to write a book with a a real law enforcement aficionado, somebody who could do more than just fabricate stories the way I do. I wanted to blend in some realism, layer in some real cop thinking and cop talk and cop situations, and I started hunting around for a partner amongst some in, independent authors that I had either worked with before or had some kind of online encounter with. And I was fortunate enough to, um, to hook up with Frank. And we you know, wrote um, The Last Collar together, which was a hell of a lot of fun for me. And I think it came up with a very interesting book. Yeah, I think so. John Mochia is a, a, an interesting character. And we put a twist in there that uh, becomes apparent fairly early on uh, that he has to deal with. That's, I think, a little different than your average police procedural. Um, it was a, it was a departure for me though. If you remember, uh, I had always written these, uh, books, uh, collaborative books with those dual first person sort of alternating, uh, chapters with two protagonists and you wanted to do a single protagonist. And so that kind of, uh, concerned me a little bit. I thought maybe we might, you know, both write in that same character, end up with a schizophrenic sounding character. Didn't turn out that way though, did it? <laughs> no, no, it didn't. Um, I think we were both um, happily surprised by the fact that once the book was 
in the final stages that we couldn't tell who had written what. You know, I didn't keep a record of which chapters I had written. I don't think you did either. And no. we'd go back for these, you know, edits and, and rereads. And I said, that's pretty cool. Did I say that? Or did Frank say that? <laughs> I, I kind of yeah. want to take credit for that, but I'm not sure I can. <laughs> I don't know if I wrote that or edited it, but I, right. I was definitely involved. <laughs> and we ended up writing a second book together that uh, you brought to the table uh, pretty fleshed out uh, in Fallen City. Right, Fallen City came about while I was trying to do some, I wouldn't call it fact-finding so much, but I was looking for some real-life real court situations for the sequel I was writing to the, uh, the movie My Cousin Vinny in the course of looking for, as I said, real-life court situations or humorous anecdotes or personalities that you know had uh, appeared in the courtroom. I was introduced to a New York State Supreme Court justice, and I figured, you know, he's been on, sitting on the bench for ages, and he's got all kinds of stories. Unfortunately, he didn't have any humorous stories, nothing that I could use for my cousin Vinny, or even manipulate into something for my cousin Vinny. But the um, the upside was that he had been a assistant district attorney in Manhattan during the 80s, and was the task force leader um, when the city chose, or <laughs> when the city got off its ass and decided they better go off, go after the um, the drug, um, the cocaine, um, cocaine drug um, cartels in in Washington Heights, and he just dazzled me for about an hour and a half with all these situations and personalities and all the all the successes and failures they had in the campaign, and when he finished talking and. I said, you know, do you mind if I write a book about this? And he said, knock yourself out. Just don't use my name in it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, again, I, when, I, you know, when it came to writing it, I thought, you know, we need a real cop in the mix here. And um, I appealed to Frank, and he was good enough to, um, to pick up his, uh, his pencil again. I think what made it even more attractive was that you weren't married to the facts as they occurred you were pretty flexible in terms of just using that as a very strong inspiration to to build a good story and i think we ended up doing that with uh, uh, the ada and the the lieutenant to the drug lord and the sergeant of the task force really taking kind of center stage uh, uh, and that was a different kind of book too because it was a third person multiple character uh, multiple perspective sort of book and uh, i don't think any one of us wrote any one of the characters exclusively or even a majority of the time so it was pretty when you talk about the word collaborative that one was pretty collaborative it was you know and um i'm getting up there in years i'm starting to worry about how many brain cells i have i have left and you know god bless that book it showed me that i have enough brain cells <laughs> to deal with multiple characters and multiple points of view and different perspectives um but i you know it never would have happened, you know, had the two of us not been as simpatico as we are. And the fact that, you know, you wrote a chapter and send it off to me or, or write a series of chapters and send them off. And when I got them, I said, wow, what great, you know, what a great um, jumping off point Frank's created for me to, uh, you know, launch into the next section of the book. And I felt it very inspiring. I, mean, I almost uh, liken it to a chess tournament. 
where, you know, as soon as somebody makes a move, they hit the timer and the next person goes. And it was like, I was getting all worked up. It's like, oh, I, I finished my chapter. I, you know, I've read it and shoot it off to you. And then I couldn't wait for it to come back, you know, wait for the next couple of chapters, chapters to come back so that we could uh, continue on. It was actually a bit of a bit sad when we got to the end of it. And I said, now what? <laughs> <laughs> and now the editing starts. <laughs> oh, yeah, fun part. <laughs> uh, what is on the horizon for you? What do you have going on uh, in 2018 and beyond? I do have a lot of projects that I'm working on. Uh, I mentioned the uh, the monthly Chalisi, I guess call it periodical for lack of a better a better name. And that's, you know, that's going to be a regular part of my work schedule. Um, I've also been lucky enough to edit um, an anthology that's coming out in two different volumes. It's called The Black Car Business, and it features 21 really great mystery writers, all, you know, taking a different perspective on the element of, you know, what does the black car uh, represent in a mystery story? And I think it's just uh, lends itself so much to, you know, to great, um, great writing. Um, you know, black cars appeared everywhere in every different shape, size, and form and situation throughout the annals of mysteries and thrillers. And, you know, I challenged these 20 writers with the idea of like, what does this mean to you? What situation would you create with a black car? And, and you know, we've got back such a diverse compilation of stories. It's really just, it's really fabulous. I can't wait for it to be released. Um, and then beyond that, there's My Cousin Vinny. Um, as Frank knows, I've written the sequel to My Cousin Vinny. It's called Back to Brooklyn. It was released in May of 2017. And it is part of an ongoing series. Um, in May of this year, we're going to release the formal novelization of the movie um, with new scenes, more jokes, insights as to why the, what makes the characters tick, things that you wouldn't have imagined um, not not reading the book, you know, certainly they weren't all readily um, uh, under, you know, understood from watching the movie. There were some really great details that, you know, that came out of my relationship with Dale Warner, the, uh, the screenwriter of the original movie. Um, one of the things that absolutely floored me was that when they were filming the movie, he got a call one day and they said, hey, we want to cut Mona Lisa Vito out of the movie. She doesn't really do enough for us. And he actually had to write that famous biological clock scene during the filming of the movie to beef up a part and give the studio enough confidence that she should remain in the film. And of course, you know, she was the, you know, she stole the, um, I mean, you know, as, as great as Joe Pesci was, and he was absolutely fabulous. Everybody talks about Marissa Tomei and how she won the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress and how iconic that performance really was. So, um, as I mentioned, My Cousin Vinny will be coming out in May, and then in 2019, there'll be a new book in a series furthering the adventures of Vinny and Lisa, taking them into new situations, new areas in, in the world. They'll be traveling quite a bit. There's sort of a modern-day Nick and Nora, uh, with Lisa leading the investigation, and Vinny, of course, nailing everybody in the courtroom. So Sounds that's like a, a great combination. <laughs> it, it's keeping me laughing, Frank. You know? <laughs> I guess that's the most important part. I, I just think it is. Else laughs along with it. With <laughs> yeah, I totally mm -hmm. agree.
Yeah. Uh, well, it's uh, been great chatting with you again, Larry, and uh, we'll be talking to you soon. Thank you, Frank. Thanks for having me on. Well, good to uh, talk to Larry. He's a interesting guy with some great ideas, and uh, the way that he uh, was able to score that uh, my cousin Vinny deal and and uh, it's just it's an amazing story. You should check out the podcast uh, episode six of the podcast to uh, hear the full background on that. It's uh, pretty pretty interesting how that came to pass. Now for our final author, uh, I'm going to start at the beginning, uh, so to speak. Uh, we're going to talk to Colin Conway, and Colin uh, was the very first author that I collaborated with. We wrote the uh, the novel Some Degree of Murder, which is uh, set in my River City universe. He's also the last author that I've collaborated with. We just finished up uh, uh, in 2017 a book called Charlie 316. That'll be coming out from Down Out Books in 2019, and I'm pretty excited about that. Um, so uh, Colin's an interesting guy. We'll uh, hear some more about him from him, uh, but uh, I saved the first for last. Hey, Colin, welcome to the show. Hey, Frank, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. So some of the reader or some of the listeners, rather, might out there might not be uh, familiar with you. So uh, tell us a little bit about your your past and uh, who you are as a writer. Yeah, I'm a little bit under the radar right now, for sure. Um, I've done a little bit of writing. Uh, so far, I've had a couple books out, um, a couple self-published, and then you and I wrote one uh, a number of years ago, Some Degree of Murder. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, we did that when I was uh, at the end of my career as a police officer. I had done uh, five years uh, with the Spokane Police Department and then uh, uh, left the police department to go back into uh, commercial real estate, which I'm still doing uh, to this day. Uh, cool. Um, so you've done a few other things that are kind of interesting too, I think, before we move into our collaboration experience. Um, you uh, ran a karate school for a while? Yeah, yeah. I owned my own karate school, uh, uh, Spokane Kempo Karate. I actually partnered with a couple guys in it. Uh, I'm a black belt in American Kempo. Um, that was a great experience. Uh, it was one of those uh, childhood dreams. I had uh, started uh, Kempo back when I was in junior high school. Um, probably like a lot of uh, uh, young boys, I wanted to be Chuck Norris when I grew up. And uh, so having an opportunity to run my own school was uh, fulfillment of a lifelong dream. Uh, one of those things, though, that uh, if you treat your business like a hobby, you're never going to take it to the next level. So I was running it at night and on the weekends. Uh, so it always stayed small and never got to the size that I had hoped for. But it was a great experience, and I'm glad I did it. That's a not a bad segue into the other uh, background fact about you that I think people would find interesting, and that is that uh, your personal uh, passion is uh, is is personal finance, and particularly getting a handle on personal finance. And uh, you even have a blog to that effect. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I run a personal finance blog uh, slanted towards commercial real estate, which uh, kind of stands out in that field. Uh, it's building-income.com, and uh, I've been doing it for a little over a year now. And, uh, you know, I, I put myself in some pretty steep debt um, back when I was previously married and uh, worked my way out of it uh, with the help of a Dave Ramsey program. Then I put myself right back into debt, worked my way out of it. And it wasn't until, um, oh gosh, probably about 
nine, 10 years ago when um, I started focusing on wanting to purchase some commercial real estate that I um, got myself strained out and started learning how money actually works and uh, started building a portfolio of real estate, started building actually a savings account prior to that, but started building a little bit of wealth. And uh, so now along with some crime fiction writing, I actually do the blog and uh, spend a fair amount of free time trying to figure out ways that maybe I can provide some some insight and some help to other people who might be struggling with some finances. Well, that's the cool part about that blog for a, a quasi-neophyte like myself is that uh, it, it's not just a raw numbers sort of uh, gig that you've got going on there. There's a lot of uh, very human discussions about emotion and about uh, life uh, events and life stages and why we behave the way we behave and very non-judgmental but also very straightforward so uh, I think I think it's great I hope people check it out I appreciate um, that and I'd say the last person who would judge would be me because uh, I got to tell you I I was I was the guy who had a, a room full of comic books and toys who thought that they were an investment and I thought that that's what was going to pay for my future. And, uh, I, I gotta tell you, that's not an investment and that is definitely not going to pay for anybody's future. So you pay for it in the future though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. You definitely do. The question I'm asking everyone, uh, this episode is, uh, maybe you could share, uh, with the listeners how you recall, uh, how you and I ever came to, uh, to work together on some degree of murder. Uh, yeah, definitely. Well, I, I probably should share how we first met and that was when I was, and uh, I was a rookie, to use a very common term that people would understand. And you were a corporal, and you were leading a roll call one day. And I remember being at the, the that roll call and just scared out of my mind because I'm actually out of the academy. And uh, that was one of those moments where I was like, "Oh God!" Back then, you were you were the corporal, and uh, and then I, I served on that team for a little bit, and then I rotated out to another. Uh, training officer and and we didn't hook up till you know gosh uh, a couple years later when you were a sergeant and uh, I, w- I had taken a, a kind of an administrative gig and we started talking about writing and uh, and I think that uh, I was just firing up my passion and you were reengaging your passion and so we were always yeah. talking about hey what are you working on what are you working on and then you had written and I don't know how much, how far along you were with your River uh, City series at that point, um, but there were these kind of ideas of, hey, maybe we could do something, maybe we could collaborate. And I know that it was in 2004 when we finally said, hey, let's let's try to write something together for your world, because I had been playing with um, a police officer, uh, a former police officer series that you had helped me with that uh, still sits shelved right now. But um, uh, I had gotten a little bit of traction, at least on creating those stories. And you said, hey, let's write this story together. And uh, we sat down and um, started writing a chapter uh, each. Uh, I would write one, you would write one, and we'd go bounce, bounce back and forth. And uh, that's how that story took off. And how was that experience for you? What was it like for you? You know, it was actually great because uh, at, at that point, writing is, and, and, and I guess always will be, a fairly lonely project, um, but when you get an opportunity to share it with someone, it, it, it's a fantastic opportunity. 
And it's one of those those things that you can laugh and uh, enjoy at the same time you're creating something. I know that there's there's works I'm in the middle of right now that I don't get to share with anybody until I'm done. Uh, it's not like I can you know pass it over to to you and say, hey, look at what I just wrote. Look at this really cool scene because it's not going to mean anything to you. It'll be be really out of context. Um, but while we're writing that story. Every time I handed you a new chapter, uh, it was one of those things where you would immediately respond and say, dude, that rocks, or dude, your head's up your butt. You just went right off the rails with this, bring it back in. And so it was a really fantastic experience. And I think it helped me grow a lot as a writer. Um, and not only what I was capable of, but how I could also help maybe you when we were in that process. Yeah, I had a couple a couple of things that came out of that book that are that are memory wise. I, I remember sitting down at a, at a coffee shop there, the one that was uh, right next to the auntie's bookstore, yeah. um, with a laptop computer, writing the the climactic chapter in which the two protagonists actually finally meet in a meaningful way, and after mm-hmm. going, you know, you write a chapter, I write a chapter, back and forth with our characters throughout the entire book, the only way we saw to make that final, you know, uh, confrontation work was to actually have a mixed chapter where both perspectives were present. And so we sat at that table, I remember, and didn't even talk really. Just one guy would write a a segment, just a passage or three or half a page or four lines, whatever was appropriate, and turn it around and hand it back for the reaction of the other character and it was almost like a form of like collaboration chess or something while we were yeah, doing yeah. it. It's just yeah. a really cool experience. Um I, I haven't done anything like that uh since. And the other thing that came out of this book for me anyway was after we set it aside for God, six or seven years, you know, and yeah. hadn't done anything with it. And then we decided, you know what, this self-publishing independent publishing is it's it's a different gig now than it used to be and maybe it's a viable option for us and so we decided to do it and we went back in to read the book and the reaction that we both had to the book was so it was exactly the same reaction and it was so oh my god parts of this absolutely suck it's bloated it needs to be pared down and then at the same time going damn, I kind of like this book. You know, there's a lot mm-hmm. of good stuff in here. There's some duality there, you know. I mean, am I remembering that right? Or did you have a different experience? Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, I got I to gotta say that that's actually very um, indicative of that writing that I had from that period of time where where now I try to look at things as less is more. Um, but yeah. back then yeah. it was, you're just, you're, you're just kind of throwing everything on the page yeah. because you're so in that moment and so excited that, oh my God, I'm actually writing. I know that I'm going through this process right now where with um, uh, another person who I've, I've written a book with and it's everybody says that they want to write a book and mm-hmm. everybody will pat you on the back or pat you on the head and say, oh, sure, sure. That's good, good, good. But until you actually cross that threshold, you don't believe that you can do it. And that's that's what's occurred with this this. Um, and. I think that that's kind of how I felt back then was I was just trying to get words on a paper so I could believe that I could do it. Mm-hmm. And once you get to that point where you know you can do it, now it's like, okay, I can actually start pulling some words off the page mm-hmm. to tighten it up. I don't need so much. And, and how can I get my message across faster and tighter um, so that it's, like you said, it doesn't have to be bloated. When we went back in, I really noticed that. And then when I went back into a couple of those other manuscripts from that period of time, 
that was one of my reactions was, oh, good Lord, I really need to yank a, <laughs> a fair amount of uh, words out. Yeah, you've really tightened your, your writing up uh, considerably, but um, in fact, to the point where this last book of yours that I, I read for you, uh, a couple places I had to comment that, hey, you need to stretch this out a little bit, live in this moment a little more. Uh, so you've really found a way to, you know, get down to like, you know, 3% body fat and, and uh, really write very tight and it makes for, for really good reading. I appreciate that. I'd rather have somebody tell me, "Hey, why don't you why don't you slow this down a little bit?" than, than have somebody say, yeah. "Hey, you need to put your book on a diet." Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah. Yeah, well, and it was only a couple, two or three passages where I where I think I made that suggestion, which is indicative of, a, like you said, you'd, you'd rather be a little skinny and have to fatten up a little bit than the other way around. Frank, tell, Frank, tell the story of uh, how we came up with the title. That's like one of my favorite things about this book. Uh, I will try. I may screw it up. So you have to, you have to correct me if I screw it up. Um, so I was, uh, we were looking for a title and it was pretty late in the production of the book, I think too. Um, yeah. like I might've even been like the day we ended up doing the, uh, right in the confrontation chapter, pretty close to it. So I'm in my car, I'm driving, uh, I'm listening to the radio and there's a broadcast about the, the County arrested somebody for homicide in there. PIO, their public information officer, was given a briefing to the media, and he made the comment that, uh, you know, this guy was so-and-so was booked into county jail, uh, where he'll uh, be charged at some point for some degree of murder. Uh, he didn't want to specify first, second, or third degree murder, because they didn't have their facts straight yet. And I heard some degree of murder, and I was like, that's our, that, that is our title. <laughs> and so I told you, and you were like, yes, that is our title. And I was super pumped about it. I was like, yeah, I came up with a great title. And then later on, I'm trying to, I'm putting it into the book or something like that. And I screwed it up completely. I wrote like murder in some degree or some crap like that. And when you sent it back to me, you had it highlighted <laughs> with a comment like, uh, you can't even remember your own awesome title. You know, what's the matter with you or something like that? Uh, <laughs> yeah. That was yeah, I love that title, man. That title. I'm awesome. glad you caught it. <laughs> Otherwise, it'd be yeah. you know, murder and dipshit degree or degree. something like that. <laughs> awesome. In addition to writing some degree of murder together, um, which was the first collaboration I ever did, uh, we just put one to bed here uh, uh, late last year. That is uh, looks like Down and Out Books is picked up for a 2019 release. Um, and that one came about in a very different way. If you want to share that with the listeners, it is called Charlie three sixteen, and it is a, a story that I'm incredibly excited about. And that one is, I, I felt that it was a little bit too big for me to take on by myself. And that's why I uh, huddled up with you on it. And, um, it's, it's a story of a officer involved shooting. And that's where I thought that I was going to get over my skis where, hey, this is going to get kind of technical. And I wanted to talk to you with your uh, knowledge of, of how a department would work. And the story, uh, not to get too too down in the weeds on it, and I don't want to give too much away, um, is how the department and the city, City Hall, reacts to that shooting once it doesn't look like it was uh, uh, justified. And in, in the writing process, we went about this pretty different, too. Instead of each taking a single character and alternating first person, uh, came at it quite a bit differently. Oh, yeah, definitely. That This one, 
this one was a lot different because it, gosh, I don't know if I don't know the exact number right off, Frank, but eight, eight characters, nine characters that we have in this book that we take different viewpoints from. So it's much more of an ensemble cast. And so we were much more strategic in it. And we said, I think there was a couple characters we gravitated to um, and said, okay, Frank, you really need to write this guy and I'll write this guy. But everybody else, we're just going to um, strategically write the chapter. Mm-hmm. And I would write one or two chapters and then flip it back to you. You would write a couple chapters or three chapters, flip it back to me. And that was one of the most magical um, experiences in writing that I've been a part of. And even my girlfriend who witnessed that could not believe how fast it came together and the the result of that process. When she read it, uh, she was just blown away that that's, that was a result of how fast we wrote. Yeah, I, I think one of the things that really excited me about it aside from the story and the topic and and the collaborative process and everything was that as part of that process you know like i'd I'd write a chapter or or a couple chapters whatever i wrote and gave it to you you would go through what i wrote and make comments and then write your Mm -hmm. portion and give it back to me i'd go through look at your comments make adjustments or more comments or whatever. So that's either finished or still a work in progress. Then go through and essentially do a first pass edit on your section and then write my new section. And so by the time we got to the end of the book, I mean, the first draft was really almost a third draft. Um, And so it seemed like it just was really, really tight by the time uh, that first draft finished. Um, so I'm looking forward to this one coming out. Uh, I think it's uh, April, May of 2019, if everything works out, as I think the time frame. So look for that, folks. Charlie 316, which is a title that Colin came up with. And, and actually, you came up with the entire premise. We just fleshed out some details uh, on that. So enough of that. Uh, what are you working on now? Well, let's see here. I've got, uh, I've got a nonfiction piece coming out here at the 1st of May. And uh, it's called Tales from the Road, and it's a uh, story of a local musician to the Pacific Northwest and how he was on the road in the 70s, 80s, and uh, it's basically a rock and roll story, man. And uh, I think what is eye-opening to me about working with this musician, his name is Bill Bancroft, uh, is you expect the kind of stories that Bill will tell, you expect those from bands like Molly Crew, bands like Led Zeppelin. We hear those tales and you think that's only the guys that play arenas, but that was happening in all of our cities uh, across the Pacific Northwest. And based upon that, I would imagine the Midwest and the East Coast. And when you realize that, you start looking at bands that are still playing and the other bands that you you saw when you were growing up and thinking, good Lord, these guys were marauding through our, our neighborhoods and we had no idea that this stuff was going on. So uh, it, it's a story I'm pretty ex- excited to have come out. And then after that, I've got uh, the side hustle. So uh, what's this one called, the rock and roll one? Uh, Tales from the Road. And by by you and Bill Bancroft, when's that coming out? Yeah, uh, May 1st. And if people want to check it out, where, where can they where can they get a preview of it? Right now, uh, it will be, it'll be available you know, at Amazon and all your... Uh, online retailers and it, we're getting ready to, like I said, uh, launch May 1st. If they want to go to my website, colinconway.com, uh, the big link's there as well. Cool. 
Uh, what else are you working on? Uh, next one out of the gate, it's going to be a self-published novel. This one I'm really excited about as well. Uh, we, I guess we should all be excited about our own works, right? Uh, is uh, a story, uh, <laughs> hopefully, uh, it's about a, a murder of a personal finance blogger. And uh, I, I don't... I don't want to go too much into it, I guess. No, I, I wouldn't uh, give any more away than that. I, I think uh, I yeah. happen to have read this one, and, and I think uh, a little mystery there about the mystery is probably best. Uh, you did yeah. a great job in this book of weaving personal finance stuff in in a way that is seamless and people aren't even going to notice that that's what's going on. And it's a good murder mystery, good police procedural. This is called The Side Hustle. And, and for folks who don't know, it, it, it was one of these terms that I came across when I started getting into personal finance. But a side hustle is like your side job or a side gig or something like that. Um, it's sort of for your second job. Cool. And uh, this will be out in 2018, right? Yes. Yeah, I'll, I'll have it out before the end of the year. All right. Well, Colin, I appreciate you coming on the show. And uh, obviously, we'll be talking soon since we... Uh, have a number of projects uh, lined up down the road that are still super top secret. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Thanks, Frank. Appreciate it. Well, there you are. Uh, Not only uh, did you know more about Colin Conway now, uh, who is a a really cool guy, a good good friend of mine, one of my older friends. Uh, We've known each other uh, for quite a while. Uh, But now you know a little bit about each of the authors that uh, I have collaborated with. And I'll tell you, um, I never set out to be a collaborator. Um, It just sort of developed that way. First with Colin, and then the other opportunities just fell into place. And before I knew it, of the 24 books that I've written that have either been released or scheduled for release, uh, so 24 in the can, as they say, Half of them are collaborations. So (laughs) I guess without trying, I've become quite the collaborator. Uh, And I'll tell you, it has been a very fulfilling experience. Some of the best writing I feel like I've done and some of the most rewarding experiences in in writing that I've had uh, have come in those uh, those collaborative works. And every writer that, uh, that you've just met has brought something very different to the table, and it's been... Uh, a different kind of good experience with each of them, and that's been that's been fun too. Um, and so I wouldn't hesitate to uh, collaborate with uh, any one of them again. Uh, in fact, I, I probably will with uh, uh, several of them at, at the very least. I have been just very fortunate in in my partners, uh, and so I wanted to do a show uh, about them. And so I hope you learned something about Bonnie Paulson. I hope you uh, check out her stuff. I hope uh, you learned about Eric Beatner and give his work a try. Uh, same thing with Jim Wilski, uh, Larry Kelter, and, and Colin Conway. Uh, check them out. Read their stuff. Feel free to read our, our collaborative works as well. And uh, I, I hope you enjoy it. Anyway, next month... We will have Kat Richardson on the show, and uh, I caught up with her uh, just a couple of days ago to ask her some quick hit questions. Kat Richardson, what city do you live in now? Uh, Technically, I live in unincorporated Kitsap County. Who is your favorite writer? Living or dead. (laughs) Your call. Uh, Dead would be um, Dashiell Hammett. 
living. I'm actually kind of on a uh, Dwayne Swierzynski kick right now. Your favorite movie? The Sting. Your favorite TV show? I don't watch very much TV. Do you have a nickname? A cat is actually a nickname. What are you working on right now? Book two of The Gaddis Files. What hobby do you have that has nothing to do with writing? <laughs> uh, gardening. Your favorite sport? Well, it used to be fencing, but I'm out of shape, so now it's probably target shooting. Your favorite musician? I don't have a favorite musician. There's so many good ones. How can you have a favorite? They're all wonderful. Your five-second advice to aspiring writers? Don't quit. You know, Be willing to learn from what didn't work. Where would you like to go that you've never been? Portugal. What's your favorite quote? You can measure the menace of a man by the ideas he believes, not the hardware he carries. All right. Well, there you are. Now you can add Cat Richardson to the list of uh, people that you know everything you need to know about from this episode. Um, anyway, next month, uh, the May episode, episode 15, will be Cat uh, Richardson, and, and she's a cool person. We had a great conversation, so I uh, hope you check it out. Uh, I'd like to say thanks to uh, Eric Campbell from Down Out Books for sponsoring uh, this show, and uh, also to Robin Agnew and uh, Cassie Clemens for... Uh, coming on and giving us some uh, great advice on some uh, excellent books you can check out. Uh, and then I want to also say thanks to my uh, my co-authors, to my collaborators, uh, Bonnie Paulson, and to Eric Beatner, Jim Wolski, uh, Larry Kelter, and Colin Conway. Great people, and they were all really cool uh, when I told them this idea about having them on the show. So again, I do hope you check out their work. It's all, it's all fabulous work really deserving of your attention. Uh, and before I go, I just want to say thanks to you, the listeners. Uh, you know, sometimes uh, uh, writing and podcasting uh, feels like you are screaming in the wilderness. And those of you who are picking up this show and listening to it and getting some enjoyment out of it, uh, make it extraordinarily worthwhile for me to keep doing it and for the guests to be willing to come on the show. So thank you for listening. Uh, if you If you enjoy it, uh, please hit like, subscribe, all that other good stuff. Tell your friends, family, hire a skywriter, whatever, whatever you feel like you can do uh, to get the word out so that people are aware of the show. I guess that's about it. So until next time, this is Frank Zafiro reminding you that sometimes you have to be in the wrong place to write crime.